Brian Billmore, welcome to the Suited for Good podcast. Thanks for coming today. Thank you so much for having me. It's it's been awesome. Ever since I found out I was coming here, I got just was so excited to just just come and hang out with you guys. Thanks, man. So I'm just going to ask you a few questions, kind of about life and where were you born, and you know where were you born and where were you raised. Okay, uh, I I was born in northern Utah in Ogden, um, and I was raised pretty much all over northern Utah. Uh, spent some time down in St. George for a minute, um, but in my childhood we moved around a lot. Uh, if I were to guess, I would say maybe seventy-five times. Uh, in just, your childhood, correct. seventy-five times. Correct. Yeah, we were. I mean, that's bouncing what, all five over the place. times a year. Pretty much. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was quite the ride. What was the what was your family situation like? Uh, family situation, um, the stuff that I remember, it wasn't too crazy. Uh, uh, you know, my I grew up in an LDS household. Um, we we didn't go to church every Sunday, but you know we we tried to do that next right thing and live live to those standards. Um, we definitely could have done better, but um, it was. You know, it was pretty pretty decent. I just remember moving around a lot and uh, learning that I had to adapt and fit into my surroundings. And that's where I learned to just make sure everyone was okay and just kind of adapt. Huh. Yeah. So what uh, what was family like? Was it a mom, dad, step parent? I mean, what was and siblings? What was family like? Uh, family, uh, I it was my mom and my dad, and then four siblings. My when when I say my dad, he's the dad that that adopted me and my older brother. Me and my older brother have a different biological father than my two younger siblings. Um, we don't know a whole lot about our our biological dad. We've only met him a few times. Never really got too too close to him. Um, but my my adoptive dad, he's he's my my dad um he 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 was awesome when when he wanted to be he just would um i remember a lot of the times he would just sit on the couch and would much rather read a book or you know i only remember going out and playing catch with them a few times not not a whole lot uh didn't really go camping didn't go fishing uh i went hunting with them after my parents split up and I was married and like a, a full, full-blown adult at that point. Um, and then my, my mom was just mom, you know, she was all, always there. She was my, my best friend growing up. Um, we, we had a lot of talks uh, and just, I just remember her always being there. And I remember always, I, I learned to always make sure that, that she was okay. I, I, I would, if mom was okay, then I could feel okay, and then I knew things could be okay because moving around for so so long and so much that I never felt really safe, if if that really makes any sense. And I knew that if my mom was okay and things were good, then that meant I could feel just a little bit safe. And so that's pretty much my, my childhood. I mean, it was normal to me, you know, and... Um, I, I don't necessarily know how normal that, sure. that is at normal this point. For you, yeah. it was traveling a lot and yeah. moving a lot. And you had, so there's four siblings total. Four siblings so, total, yep. Uh, boy, girl, how does that work? How does uh, that there is uh, my older brother, Brandon, and me, and then my younger sister, Brittany, and then the runt of the group, Brett. 
Okay. Yep. All right. And what's the age span between you guys? Uh, my older brother is 39 and, oh geez, he's going to kill me. I think my little brother is, I want to say 33, maybe 34. So you guys are within six years. So. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So um, what, why, why did you guys move around so much? Um, that's really a good question. I, I know a lot of the times it was my dad couldn't keep a job, you know, just to, just to throw it out there. Um, he would much rather, I remember a lot of times my mom and him would fight because he'd just, he'd get fired from this job or, or that job. Or I remember one in particular, he lied on his application and just stuff like that over and over and over again. He just couldn't quite grasp, you know, consistency. Yeah. yeah. So what was your relationship uh, with your siblings? What was that like? Me and my older brother were inseparable. He's, he's legally blind, and so all growing up, I kind of became his, his protector. Uh, I was kind of his watchdog, his guardian. You know, I would go and fight fights for him in school, and um, that went on all the way to uh, our, our teens and even adults. And I, I remember <laughs> one time he was mouthing off, got in a fight, I ended up jumping in, and then he got mad that I jumped in, said he could fight his own fights. And then there was other times where he would just get upset that, that I wouldn't jump in. So it was, mm. you know, that part was really kind of confusing. But, you know, I just thought it was part of having a brother that's, that's legally blind, you know. And I, I felt a responsibility for, to make him safe, you know, because I knew that, you know, there were just some things that I – I could do and he he couldn't you know be because of his disability um you know not not to say that he's any less than but yeah you know it's it's a challenge yeah it's just limits so uh you're a middle child yep yeah i am also a middle <laughs> child there you go so uh i've you know i've heard already this feeling of like like mom's okay or i gotta help mom be okay my older brother okay yep so was that your role is that your role, the kind of the peacemaker and making sure everything is okay? Yeah, yeah. I mean, totally. You you nailed it on the head. Um, I knew that um, I, I, need, I just needed everyone to be okay because if everyone was okay, then I could feel okay. And then if I felt okay, then I could feel a little bit safe. And so I just would try to set out and uh, run into other people's burning buildings, if you will, to help them solve their problems or uh, I, I became super codependent and like would just fix people's problems for them and not help them fix their own problems. Um, and so, yeah, that was, I learned that and that's, that's how I lived for so many years. Yeah. Um, you've mentioned being safe. Mm -hmm. Uh, did you feel unsafe or what, why, why did you feel unsafe? What, what about just, growing up was unsafe? I didn't feel when, when I say unsafe, it's more, I, I didn't feel really like we belonged in one certain place. Like I, I didn't feel rooted um, hmm. because of moving around so much. And I learned to not really get close to anybody or just keep people at arm's length and didn't feel like, okay, that's a safe place. We can get rooted. We can, because at that young age, I kind of thought that the reason why we were moving was because we all were unsafe. And 
I, I don't quite know how I spun that story or why that even came up because I don't ever remember being put in any actual like physical danger. Uh, I, I certainly wasn't beat as a child or anything like that, but just I think emotionally safe. You know, I, I just never felt emotionally safe because I was always searching for um, safety in, in, in others and I would depend on others in, in that aspect. It makes perfect sense. It's like, uh, you know, everything you hear about raising kids is just trying to provide a routine. Yeah. And like this, because kids don't feel safe without like this routine of, hey, these are the things you can plan on every day. Consistency. Consistency. Yep. That's really interesting. So like, yeah. and, and on top of this role of trying to make sure everybody's okay, you're just trying, you're trying to be okay. Yeah. And just yeah. trying to, just trying to get, like you said, rooted. Yeah. So what, um, so what was uh, adolescence like? Teenage years, what, what was that like for you? My parents ended up getting divorced when I was about 16. And um, God bless my mom, she tried her best, but I mean, she was, busy working and just trying to, to make a living for for us kids and she was always gone at her jobs and so we were kind of able to be teenagers and just go do really whatever we wanted and uh, I fell into the wrong crowd I started partying and um, this is 16 yeah yeah I was about 16 I the first time I tried alcohol I was 16 I uh, got drunk and from there, it was pretty much off to the races, um, partying every weekend, and then that kind of turned into every weekend and maybe one or two days during the week. Um, and I ended up like completely just blowing school off completely. Uh, went through uh, junior high okay, like I played football down in St. George, stuff was good. Um, and th but it was as soon as we moved up to North Ogden, that's where stuff really kind of started to come off the rails and um partying you know i was just in the between my at this same time my grandma was diagnosed with lung cancer and so my mom was trying to juggle four kids work, working her jobs trying to support us and then be there for my grandma and so that took up 90 percent of her time and so we were kind of able to just skate by and do whatever and you know my poor mom probably to a degree trusted us and we completely were teenagers and took full advantage of that and just were able to go run amok. Was your brother also kind of living that lifestyle? My your older brother older and brother? I were completely in that lifestyle. We Not were, to throw him under the bridge, but other than, <laughs> no, other than, you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. Um, we were, we hung out with the same, same group of friends, uh, partied all the time. And um, my brother had, had his struggles too, you know, and he's very, open about it and that's why I'm able to come here and be open with it too um, and you know he's he's gone through the the ringer but he's as far as I know he's good um, but yeah we've we both lived that exact same lifestyle so where was you know you mentioned your mom and dad split mm -hmm. was your dad did he continue to be a part of your life I mean you were with your mom yeah, my, my dad certainly was a part of our life still. Uh, he encouraged us to go over to his house uh, every, every other weekend. And uh, being 16, 17, you know, I maybe would go once every few months. You know, I was, just wanted to go out and party. So I kind of started to distance myself from him. And my older brother kind of started to distance himself from him as well because 
uh, we kind of took the stance that, well, you're not our real dad, you know? Mm. And so we didn't feel a responsibility, if you will, to actually go like my younger siblings did. And so that's, yeah. But he, he tried, you yeah. know? So 16, 17. Yep. So junior year of high school, or sophomore, junior, senior year of high school. I dropped out of high school pretty much. I maybe went a total of about six months combined okay. to sophomore. And then from there, I, I just dropped out and just didn't, didn't want to do it anymore. Um, I ended up getting a job. I worked at a theater. I was a projectionist back when they still had projectors. Uh-huh. <laughs> and uh, that was pretty cool. You know, it was... It was cool. I, I felt like a adult, you know, I was mm-hmm. working, I was making money, you know, I thought I was on my way to making millions. And um, that went on for a little bit. And then once more, I just wanted to go party. So I started to kind of jump around from job to job because I just wanted to hang out and party. I, I didn't want to be bothered with going to work. So you'd have a job for a little bit and then was, was the alcohol getting in the way of the job or why, why not just keep the same job and just party on what on the weekends or whatever? What, not, like why, why, why jump from job? Maybe you can help me understand that. Uh, because I was lazy, you know, mm. I just, I'd much rather party all night, sleep all day. Um, and you know, I'd, I'd be late going to work. I just wouldn't take it serious or I just wouldn't show up or I would lie. Yeah. I, I would lie about, um, you know, oh, sorry, this happened in my car. I can't do this, can't do that. And, you know, employers just got sick of that. Sure. Yeah. Okay, that, that makes sense. So, uh, you know, late teens, uh, walk me through what, what, what happened next in life. Okay. Um, my mom ended up getting remarried. This was, I was about eight, eight, 17, 18. My mom got remarried. Um, and we moved out to Roy. And in Roy, up in Weaver County, uh, my ex-wife at the time, well, my ex-wife now, but soon, soon-to-be wife at the time, lived just a few doors down. And so I, she was actually friends with my little sister. And so we met, we started hanging out. Um, she actually ended up getting pregnant. So um, how old were you? I was... 18 at the time okay yeah and so she ended up getting pregnant and that was where my son came from and um it was absolutely awesome for a little bit um hopefully i don't get too emotional talking about it he uh that's that's where i really started to come off the rails was um going through the pregnancy you know i was trying to do that right thing and be there and be that guy and like okay my life is starting to form together and we had no idea that he was going to be born sick and he was born really really sick he and uh august 1st 2006 he was born and we didn't get to take him home at all he went straight to he was in spent time in the hospital in uh weber county and then from there he went to primary children's and he spent 10 and a half months there. Mm-hmm. And uh, they found that he had pulmonary hypertension. He, uh, 
aspirated some fluids when he was still in the birth canal and you know he just got super sick from this and um, he pulled out of it a little bit we were able to take him home but that wasn't after well let me back up a little bit why he was in the hospital he ended up having uh, neurosurgery they had to crack his skull open from ear to ear to put uh, spacers in his skull because oh. his soft spot had fused way too early and um, he just he was spending his like the first part of his life in a hospital bed he um, couldn't hold himself up he couldn't walk he couldn't crawl he couldn't do any of that and uh, his quality of life was shaping up to be not nearly as good as I'd hoped and um, but we thought there was light at the end of the tunnel we were able to take him home and we got him to a point, and thank you to all the nurses up at primaries that worked day after day, night after night, trying to get him healthy. And we got him home, and that was the best time of my life. Uh, we had to give him his meds. We, I'm basically around the clock care, but at least our son was home. And that lasted maybe five, five months about. Um, and then January 7th, 2008 was my sister's birthday. We spent the birthday at my mom's house and just hanging out, just being a family. And uh, Gabe was there and it was so awesome. And we took him home. And then I remember putting him to bed. And then that next day I was gearing up to hopefully go into the military. So I was gonna go on a run with my um, recruiter at, at that time. And something just told me to kind of hold off and wait and just kind of hang for a second, hang back. And right as I was going to leave out the door, Gabe had his physical therapist over. Gabe's my son. Um, and his physical therapist just looked down at him and said, right, buddy, I'll see you next week. And as soon as she shut the door, he went into a seizure. And he uh. never pulled out of that seizure. And uh. um, so we had to call 911 and the whole works and we got him to the hospital in, up, up in Ogden and from there they tried to save him. They tried to do whatever they could and they said we're, we're actually losing him. We've got to send him to primaries. They're better equipped for this. So they put him in Life Flight and sent him. And um, I remember I was in the car by myself on the freeway going from Ogden to primaries and I was right in I was about halfway there and my phone rings and it's my mom <laughs> and she asked me <laughs> she asked me where I was and so that's where I I told her and she just said I want you to be prepared um, Gabe's Gabe's not gonna make it and that was I I couldn't compute what what that even meant because we'd worked so hard and like so I, I just kept driving and when I got finally got up to the hospital it felt like it was an eternity um <laughs> my dad was <laughs> he was right there at the doors and he just said second floor go and so I just took off got up there and as soon as I opened the doors I mean I knew that that wasn't my son you know he was just He's hooked up to all these machines and just not, 
not that that was no longer my son and luckily the once more the angels up up at primaries were able to keep him at least physically alive until um, my wife's family could come in from uh, Indianapolis and California and we had everyone kind of come in so they were all able to say bye and uh, we were at the hospital for like 12 hours and you know they they were so nice to us up there and just pretty much told us here you go you guys take whatever time you need uh let us know if there's anything we can do for you um and they let us just kind of process that until we were able to you know find our way back to our cars and go home and uh that's when you know that's when i just wanted I remembered, like, just, that's when I just decided, like, all right, this is it. Like, maybe I'm not meant to be safe. You know, maybe, you know, I I started to spin this really weird, I was just in a really weird headspace at that time. And, you know, I I still had a a wife that I needed to care for and a a job to go to and uh, now a, a funeral to plan. And... Uh, didn't even know where to start and mind you me and my wife were like 20 at the time maybe 22 still kids and um, luckily you know I had awesome family she has awesome family and everyone just kind of helped us through through this and made sure that that we were okay and that we were safe (laughs) and so we make it through and that's where I first found um, pills and I started to um I I couldn't sleep after the like this whole thing happened and my older brother had a prescription of uh sleeping pills asked me if I wanted some I said sure so I started taking double the normal dose and just crashing out and just wanting to sleep for days and then that just kind of started that spiral and that's where I just started to come off the rails you know in that moment I made a choice and I just didn't care. You how know? how old was he? He was 15, 15 months, 15 and a half months. Man. Yeah. I'm so sorry. Yeah, it was what a thank ter- you. terrible loss. I'm so sorry. Yeah. Yeah. And um, you know, he uh was awesome. You know, it was had such yeah. the awesome, awesome little personality. And um Right around the time of his funeral was where I started to become addicted to sleeping pills. Uh, I literally just wanted to numb out. I I didn't want to fail. I had to make sure that everyone else was okay. That's where I started to really kind of go into overdrive with the, okay, this was my son. I felt like everyone's pain was my responsibility now because he was my son and I, I made that choice to, you know, sleep with his mom and all that. And so this is my responsibility now. And so um, that's where, like I said, I started to come addicted to uh, sleeping pills and then kind of started to correct and get right. And then I just kept slipping, going back and forth, back and forth. And then I started to pick up smoking and hide that from my wife. She had no idea at the time, or at least she says that she had no idea. Um, and so that's where that 
Did she know you were taking the sleeping pills? And no, no, I, I, I was hiding this from everyone because I wanted to appear strong and capable and like I could be that guy to make everyone safe. And yeah. the fact was I was a scared, scared little boy inside still, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and you just went through a tremendous loss. Yeah. And so this went on for years. And once the dust kind of settled from losing my son, um, me and my ex-wife, were we were kind of at a rocky area. And uh, we decided to give it one last go. And that's where my daughter comes from. And so shortly after my daughter was born, me and my wife get divorced. Um, and I mean, to be honest, that was the best thing ever was for us to get divorced because we were still so young and we just didn't make great husband and wife. I mean, we're great friends now. Great, great, great job at, at co-parenting, but as husband and wife, there's no way. Hmm. <laughs> and, um, through all this time, I started to develop a dependence to opiates. I started to, um, realized that the sleeping pills only covered one little part. I needed something that could get me through the day because I was still so numb. And so that's where I found, um, like I said, opiates. And I started to doctor shop. And um, I actually got in trouble for doctor shopping. And um, the arresting officer told me that I had a choice. He had a, a an envelope that had a stack of papers in it. He said, these are all the charges that I can charge you with, or you can go into a drug diversion program. Luckily, it was my first, um, it was like a, a first offender program. And that, once more, I mean, I went through that program. Uh, it was 18 months long, flying colors. It was perfectly fine. But the day that I left, I was high that night. You know, it was the behaviors still weren't fixed. Um, I was still that same guy. Just were you able to see? So your daughter, what's your daughter's name? Peyton. Peyton. She. Yep. I'm trying to think. Timeline. 2006. So she's 15. This. Yep. Oh. Yeah. Well, now, like she, she was born in 2010. So this oh. was over. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, this I was over. My son passed away in 2008. Okay. So, um, yeah, she actually just had her. 13th birthday hmm. uh, back on the 11th hmm. so yeah and she's she's a ball of fire yeah <laughs> yeah that's awesome <laughs> yeah good yeah um so what was happening at home as you're going through this so you you divorced right after she was born correct so you're living separately and yep. then all this stuff hits yeah this this uh, rehabilitation program you went the through? The rehabilitation program, I actually kind of have the timeline a little messed up. I'll, I'll try to slow down. I'm just a little bit nervous. Oh, don't be nervous, man. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, I guess it's, but it's a vulnerable spot to share your yeah. story. Yeah. So I, it, I just want to say how grateful I am that you are sharing it. And uh, I'm really grateful for the vulnerability. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a father for myself. And so Thank just you. seeing you tear up about your kids, like, hey, I'm yeah. there. I'm yeah. tearing up too. I mean, we don't. Yeah. Nobody sees that on this, but uh, uh, your your willingness to share this is, I think, is going to be something that helps a lot of people. So thank I you. Hope so thank you for sharing. I hope so. Thank you. Um, the right after we lost my son, 
there was about maybe a year went by. So it was about 2009 when all of this stuff, all the um, first offender program, like all that kind of started to hit. Uh, and then it was right around, I want to say, I'm not total certain on the, the timeline, but it was like right towards the end of 2009 that I went into the uh, Weber County Drug Diversion Program. And that's where I went 18 months, completely fine. And then through all that time, my daughter was born, right, it's like all this is kicking off. So, okay, I mean, things sense. are <clears throat> starting to go completely sideways right out of the gate in, in my daughter's life. And yeah. so then I'm trying to juggle job, still have somewhat of an addiction and appear like I'm clean and smoking and being married and then coming off and trying to fight everyone else's fights. So that way, if I fought everyone else's fights, I didn't have to fight my own. I, I didn't have to face the pain that I was feeling. And so um, now we're kind of back up to speed. I finished the program and I was high that night and that's you know I, I didn't care I was just glad to be done with the program wanted to go out and celebrate so like a lot of addicts do you, you go out and you get loaded um, and then I was just right back in the cycle I just wasn't getting caught I was learning as I was going learning what not to do like what where not to go what not to say and just um, you just got better at doing it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so some time goes on, and my wife had just had enough. You know, she just said, you know what? This is, I don't want to start out like this. I don't want Peyton to start out like this. I'm done. And at the time, that absolutely crushed me because I thought, how dare you? This is your fault. This is, you're the one that's doing this, not me. I'm perfect. You know, I, I did not want to look at my stuff. Um, and so I get divorced from her. And then that's where I really started to learn between losing Gabe and then getting divorced. I noticed that it is so easy to fall into being a victim and people just give you what you want because they feel bad for you. And so I fell into that pattern too. So I was already starting this massive concoction of just toxic behaviors and uh, that went on for years and uh, so I'm divorced from uh, Peyton's mom and on my own and just being a victim and just jumping from job to job to job and uh, living with my mom like uh, yeah I lived with my mom till I was well till I went to the other side of Academy so you know I was I was that guy, like 30-something years old and living with mom. Yeah. Um, and didn't get any felonies, although I probably should have. <laughs> you know, I just never I, – I, I'm really blessed that things happened that, that the way they did because it could have been a lot worse. Um, and then, uh, let's see, so I just started to um, – I started to choose drugs and the lifestyle over Peyton. Um, visitation with Peyton just became less and less and less. And I would go out and search for um, 
that, that next high rather than spend time with my daughter. And that cycle went on for years until once more her mom just said, you know what, enough. Um, Peyton comes home, she's talking this way. She's saying that this stuff happened. If this stuff did, it's not okay. This is not happening. Peyton needs to feel safe. And as soon as she said that, it's like things just, like that shook me to my core because that took me right back to when I didn't feel emotionally safe. And so that rang true with me, but not nearly is enough as, as, as it needed to be because I still wasn't quite ready to give it up. And so she was basically saying, no right, no visitation, You've, you're too in yeah. and out, whatever. Yeah, you know. This needs to stop. Yeah, this is when she was starting to very first notice it and just yeah. going like, hey, this is not, yeah. this is not gonna happen. And once more, I spun that into, oh, you're not gonna let me see my daughter. And yeah. you know, I was that guy. Yeah. I was the guy that was trying to make my ex-wife's life a yeah. wreck because I was actually a wreck sure. and I wanted other people to be a wreck too. Yeah. And you know, I, I do wanna say my ex-wife found, you know, <laughs> as much as it pains me to say it, the, the, her husband now, the guy is amazing to, to Peyton. He, there's no other guy that I could pick for, to, to be there for my daughter, you know? Um, he's, he's done stuff for her that I, I can't. And, um, you know, he's, he's, he's been awesome. But at the time, you know, I just flat out didn't like the guy. I thought, how dare you? You know, yeah. Peyton will never call you dad. And, you know, in fact, she, she does because he is. And so, like, the, I was just in this toxic cycle of drama and chaos, and I wasn't okay, but I wanted to appear like I was. I wanted to help other people be okay, but in the meantime, behind the curtain caused chaos for the people that I, I didn't like or the people that I thought didn't deserve to be happy, hmm. you know? And so I get to about 2016 and I really start to come off the rails again. And I'm living with my mom, we're up in North Ogden. I'm um, just popping pills like crazy. Uh, can't hold a job to save my life. Uh, my girlfriend at the time um, was not, she was more of an accomplice than an actual relationship. Um, and so I was just in this cycle and just, I was getting stuff just given to me. I didn't have to work for it. I was getting money. I was like all this stuff. And I was able to live and stay in that life for the longest time. And then we get to about 2016 and I move down here to Salt Lake in about, yeah, yeah, it was about 2016, 2017, I want to say. Uh, we move out to Glendale and um, I had switched girlfriends at this time to the next girl that, that could help me even more than the last one. And so we're living in the basement of this, like, you know, this little three bedroom house out in Glendale and we're living in a room in the basement. And um, 
I started to hang out and find, I found people that, you know, were doing harder drugs than just pills. And, you know, that's why I got, a, got addicted to hard, hard drugs and um, started to really come off the rails and spiral. And I, I hadn't seen Peyton in months. You know, I, I wish I could sit here and say that she's all I thought about, but in that lifestyle, she, she, she wasn't. You know, um, and so this went on for for about two, two, two and a half years, and I found out that I had a warrant up in Weber County, and so I told my girlfriend at the time. I said, uh, "Hey, uh, I've got this warrant up there. It's." A petty warrant. I'll probably be out of jail in a few weeks. We don't have time. We, we don't have money to pay for it. So I'm just gonna go turn myself in. And she's like, "That's that's a great idea. Let's go." And so we went up to Weber County. I turned myself in. I was in jail for 47 days. And that choice to turn myself in saved my life because the the domino effect that that put in place led me to this point right now where I'm standing here talking to you because what that did was I went to jail for the 47 days halfway through that stay my girlfriend at the time told me you know what we're done you're not coming back here you're homeless do not contact me do not we are not doing this and that put me to a point that once I was out I was frantic um the day I got out of jail, I got high. And then I made my way back here to Salt Lake and uh, weaseled my way into her, her house, or, well, the, the bedroom that we were in. Uh, and we, I was there for maybe two days. And she's like, you know what? It's been two days, out. And so I left and I was homeless. I, was, I had to lean onto family and be a burden to them to where they could pay for hotel stays. And so I have two amazing aunts that, that pretty much fit, fit the whole bill for that. And they were paying for a hotel here, a hotel here, a few days here. And um, it was February 20, 20th? No, it's February 21st. I was staying at the All-Star Motel in, out in um, the Rose Park area, and my aunt, I'm talking to her over Facebook, because that's the only place I could get Wi-Fi was there at the hotel, and um, I was talking to her right, right over the phone, and she says, okay, this is enough. I know of a place called the Other Side Academy. You're going. I'm going to be there in 45 minutes to get you. Be ready. And she, like, she, I was like, okay. Like, you got it. And as soon as I hung up the phone, I thought, oh crap, what did I just do? How can I make this situation not be my fault, but weasel out of going there? And um, <laughs> I thought about telling her that, oh, I already checked to have a waiting list or, you know, the, just tried to lie myself out of it. And, but, but I didn't do that. And she got there, I got in her car, First place she took me was to Wendy's to get me some food. 
And then she took me to Smith's to get me some shoes because all I had on were these work boots in my bag that I was toting around the streets. And um, then from there, we went to the other side academy. And that's where my life completely changed. And once we got there, um, she, uh, I go on the bench. Uh, Dave, the executive director at the academy, takes my aunt into his office and talks to her. Still to this day, I don't know exactly what, what was said, but if you know Dave, you probably know exactly what was said. <laughs> and and um, <clears throat> she comes out, I'm sitting on the bench, what seemed like an eternity. I'm talking to the, the staff there at the academy. They asked me, um, when was the last time I got high? I lied straight to their face because it's, it's who I was. Yeah. And they saw right through it. And um, I had never experienced that before. To be, to have such a contrast, uh, to feel such unity, to, to feel safety, but yet be called like, no, you're lying, knock it off. What's the truth? And to have somebody confront me and not be afraid or not be, somebody that wouldn't tell me what I wanted to hear, somebody that would tell me what I needed to hear. Mm. And once that happened, I mean, that threw me for a loop. I was like, oh, what, what is this place? This is not normal. People don't act like this. Yeah. And so a little bit of time goes by and, um, you know, they, they obviously, I lied to them about when was the last time I got high and which was like the morning of, so mm -hmm. they, they can't interview and accept me in that state. So yeah. I have to sit on the bench and wait. So I was on that bench for close to about 36 hours. And for anybody out there that doesn't Wow, yeah. it's a wood bench, it's not comfortable. Yeah, and for anybody that doesn't know what the, the bench is, it's a literal bench that, that, that you have to go sit on and wait to get interviewed. And it is the most uncomfortable it is. bench <laughs> ever. But I mean, that's, that changed me. And what, <laughs> what changed me even more was the fact that looking into my aunt's eyes as she was leaving, the, the academy after she dropped me off and the tears in her eyes and she's just saying this is going to be the hardest thing you've ever had to do but you have to do this and I told her I would and for some reason I just went like okay I told her I'm going to do it so whatever it takes I'm going to do it mm. and then went in I went to bed that night I was able to come off the bench for a, a little bit and go to sleep on a, on a couch, wake back up, 6 a.m. Go back I'm, on the bench. Yep, I'm back on that bench. Um, and then I was interviewed and accepted, and, and then I started, and then it was off to the races. And my experience at the academy was earth-shattering. Um, I have never realized that the person who I thought I was and the person who I was were not the same person <laughs> until I went to the academy. And, you know, I, I was your typical liar, thief, cheat, 
manipulator, you know, but yet I had built this persona about myself that I honestly believed in the moment that, you know, I was, I'm doing good, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. I looked great, even though when I first went to the academy, I was maybe 220. You know, I'm normally about 260. So I looked like a, a skeleton, you know? Mm. I could feel my hips and thought that I looked absolutely great. And I looked, I mean, yeah, people know. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, but at it, it, the academy, you know, it's, it's a blessing because it's, you know, like, like they say, it's a perfect place ran by imperfect people that you realize, you know, people can make mistakes, but people can also redeem themselves. And, you know, you have a choice. You get a choice every single day while you're there to what kind of person are you going to be today? Are you going to be the same guy you were yesterday or are you actually going to actually put, put some work in today? And it took me quite a while to come to terms with the fact that one of my biggest problems was, was lying. I would tell people whatever I thought they wanted to hear to make them feel better. Because if they felt better, I felt better. And if I felt better, I felt just a little bit safe. And um, it, took, it took almost a year and a half to break that habit of realizing, okay, I just lied again. Okay, I just lied here. Okay, I just lied here. And to build that pattern and actually formulate a plan myself to okay I'm doing it again and then look at signs that led up that lead that lead me up to that because that's what needs to be fixed and mm. so through just a lot of patience on everyone's part you know they all helped me and would call it out every single time and um, you know it's they have their own special way of, of calling it out yep. <laughs> and the games right game yep, night yep yeah. and you know it was amazing and the first two years I was there I worked at their thrift store and I committed to do a third year and in that third year right before that third year was to start I went to the um, director of the moving company and told him I said hey um, you know I'm not being challenged anymore like I the thrift store I just flat out don't don't like working there anymore. It, I'm, I'm bored. I would love to go to the moving company. Uh, you know, after he picked his job off the floor and couldn't, he's like, you, you're almost done with your stay and you want to go to the moving company? It's like, well, yeah, like it's something I've always wanted to do, but I wanted to work myself in a position to where, to where I was ready. Hmm. And so, um, a few days later we had call offs, which is a, a job change and um, I heard my name you know new on the moco Brian Billmeyer and like after my jaw hit the floor and I realized what had just happened that like okay it was once more it was one of those like oh no what did I just do kind of moments <laughs> yeah but that moving company I don't know what it is but it changed my life it changed my stay you know and before the moving company, I was still shy and able to keep to myself and stay in the corner and didn't really develop the confidence. I mean, there was no confidence booster mm. that I was able to see or, yeah. or identify. 
but on the moving company, the mental aspect, the uh, physical aspect of it, that you know, you're able to, with the help of others, the stuff you can accomplish is amazing. It's and, amazing. Yeah, and I mean, yeah, the, for anybody who doesn't know, the other side movers, incredible. <laughs> yeah, you you guys run. You guys work so yeah. hard. It's yeah. Yeah, and you know, I I did that for the last year and absolutely loved it. Hmm. And you know, it was the hardest thing that I've ever had to do. You know, next to obviously going through the academy and losing my son, but that that's that's a different kind of hard. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that that moco is a challenge for no joke, huh? for anybody. <laughs> yeah. So Brian, you've you've been through a lot, and it feels like in your story, mm -hmm. the other side academy. Where are you now? Um, I'm actually going to back up a little bit. Okay. There was one major thing while I was going through the academy that I forgot to mention. Um, yes, please do. I was at the academy for one year, one year to the day. Um, I get pulled into the quorum, and uh, John Labuti, who is one of the staff there, just looks at me. And the the quorum is the the office where they have like the the serious conversations. And so I I knew it was serious. And I'm like, oh no, like I didn't do anything. And like, well, uh oh, like. And he just sits down and he sits across from me, and with tears in his eyes, he's like, um, I don't know how to tell you this, so I'm just going to tell you, your dad killed himself. And like that, just that oh. shock. And I, I didn't know once more how to like process it and how to figure out where to go or what like to do. Oh. And so, you know, the academy just kind of gave me my space and let me kind of process and call my mom and figure out what was going on. And yeah, my, my dad took his own life while I was at the academy. Um, and luckily I was able to go to his funeral but I was able to show up for him and be the person that I thought I was and the person that I pretended to be for so many years prior, you know, I was able to show up and actually be that guy for, for my mom, for my siblings, and for my aunt that dropped me off at the academy. Um, little funny story. At the funeral, um, I hadn't seen my mom for this whole entire time. And uh, she knew I was coming. She was holding my, my niece, and she had her back to me. And as I was walking up, she spun around, and I said, hi, Mom. And the look of confusion for, like, a split second, she couldn't, like, process that it was me. And then all of a sudden, she's like, holy crap. And, like, we, we hugged it out, and it was, it was mm -hmm. awesome. And the same thing for my aunt that dropped me off at the academy. I was able to see her. And I kept... Like during the funeral, I kept looking over and like smiling and waving and nothing. I'm like, geez, like she <laughs> didn't recognize you, huh? Yeah, no, no, wow. she she didn't. And you know, but afterwards, it was really kind of a confusing feeling because I'm there at my dad's funeral, and everyone's so happy with the transformation that I was making, but yet we all were so sad. And so, I mean, it was constant. Yeah, happy for Brian, sad for the family. Yeah, <laughs> like. But, yeah, yeah, that was, that was hard. But also, you know, I was at the academy and able to go through and process in the right way. And in a safe, safe place. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And, you know, 
after the academy, I was, you know, after three years, I went out, got a job um, at a at another moving company, um, but it just wasn't it wasn't the same, and it just it wasn't hitting home, and so I went and talked with Dave and just told him that same thing. Like it's not, I can't place my my finger on what's going on, but this is not. I'm I'm missing something. He's like, okay, well, let's get you out of there. We can, um, let's get you a different job. So then um, I left, I went into his office telling him about how I felt so empty and I left with a job interview to hopefully go work at Lexus. And so went out there, um, had the job interview, things went great, worked there. Um, nothing bad to say about either of those jobs, but they, it just was not hitting home. And so a few months went by and I went back into Dave's office and just told him like, okay, man, I know you're, here we go. Uh, you know, same thing. It's not hitting home. And he asked me what, what would, and I said, well, I want to be staff at the Academy. Mm. And so I kept trying to go in that route and it, it wasn't, timing was off there was no there there was nowhere f for me basically in there and so it's like you know what okay I, c I can tough it out until there is and went back to work uh, I think maybe a week if not just a few days went by and my phone's ringing I look down and it's Dave and pick it up and he's like hey um, I know it's not the Academy but we have an opening at the other side village do you want it? And so I, I jumped on it and hmm. then went through the process there and I've been at the village ever since. And wow. I've never been, I've never been safer. Hmm. You know, it's, I can't describe it. It's, it's amazing. Wow. Yeah. So you're, you're helping with the other side village, which yep. is yeah. an amazing development. Yeah, yeah. What, what are you doing for the Other Side Village? Uh, I'm a coach at the Other Side Village. Um, I have a, a few of the neighbors, as we call them. They're yeah. the, the um, residents. Yep. Residents. Yep. And, you know, I, I'm just a, a mentor, you know, a, a, a friend, a, a brother, somebody that, you know, they can bounce ideas off of, or somebody that I can bounce ideas off of them, you know, because being a mentor goes both ways. It's not yeah. me always teaching them. Like, you know, I've got we've got one guy there that's going to start to teach me how to cook hmm. because you know if given the chance i could probably burn water <laughs> <laughs> yeah 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 oh, that's so, amazing man yeah, yeah so awesome. i guess one question i want to ask before we wrap this up is uh uh you know our suited for good foundation mm -hmm. and part of what i what i'm always curious i mean this transformation you have and and i like to think of the suited for good like cherry on the top and do you yeah. remember your fitting do you remember coming yes. in and getting that and and just had you had a suit before and did it tell me tell me a little bit about that experience and how did it make you feel on the outside mm -hmm. after this tremendous amount of work on the inside because i mean it's it's incredible your story is incredible thank you um yeah well, you know i i remember getting the call I was out on a move, um, 
wait, no, I'm going to back up. I was actually at the thrift store. And they told me, like, you know what? Hey, uh, you're up. You're going to go get fitted for a suit. And I was so excited because I, I knew. I was like, okay, sweet. That place is awesome. That, you know, like, okay, let's do it. My suit's going to be awesome. Like, I didn't know that it was like an actual like fitting like you get fitted (laughs) you know i i just thought it was like you know what okay why don't you go pick something out but no it's not like that at all yeah and so i come in and you know we we get the my partner that i had with me uh he was my my best friend going through the 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 other side academy and so we were able to experience that together as well awesome and you know just looking at each other and we're just laughing just going like i can't believe we're here like i would never owned a suit before i couldn't even really couldn't even tell you what a two-piece suit three-piece like yeah. that stuff yeah. that was not that was not in my line of work sure. <laughs> you know yeah and to be able to be given that chance you know to just be accepted to be like you know what okay you're you are worth it you know this this is for you this is for all the work that you put in yeah this is yours come in let us make it about you and that was something to that degree i was never used to because i was always trying to make it about everyone else sure and then to get that you know at first it was it it, the thought of it was really kind of uncomfortable for me but i knew that there was so much good behind it that it's like you know what no 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 this is cool you know i'm starting to be the man that i thought i was for all those years and you know i've i've got a picture on my phone of me and my best friends in our suits on call off and just i mean the smiles on our faces and like we one of our friends looked like he worked for like the secret service you know we always (laughs) used to tease him like it was just there is no you can't put an emotion behind that experience because it's so powerful yeah you know seeing yourself in that light yeah you know that's what i love about it too is just my my experience is seeing somebody see themselves for the first time like that and it's that's what that's what the the program has been so rewarding for us and so um to see that it's just the cherry on the top and i think that's the experience of your life and that that's when we started this foundation you know it was it was about creating these connections mm-hmm. right because the connections are what matter and so um but i just want to make sure anybody who listens to this it's like the amount of work that you put in to changing your life to taking accountability you know this is just yeah. such a little thing on the top but <laughs> yeah like all that like your your mom not being able to recognize you at the funeral your aunt you know yeah. it's like it's 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 amazing yeah. and i'm so grateful to have this time to listen to your story and uh just catch a glimpse of even the uh when you said something about you you were nervous or that you uh said something the effect of with with people or whatever and i like you are so uh you're so personable and Thank you're you. so easy Thank like you. you like i sell for a living mm-hmm. you'd be one hell of a salesperson <laughs> because Thanks. you're you're easy to connect with and you're mm-hmm. you're uh open and vulnerable and i just i'm just super impressed thank you man it means a lot thank you it means a lot that you'd share your story with us thank you and you know it's 
now it's if what I've gone through can help just just one person, it's worth it, you know, it, because there is light at the end of that tunnel. There yeah. is. Well, if we have anything to do with it, getting this podcast out there, <laughs> uh, if anybody listens to this, it's it can't help but but help them feel that way because awesome. I think you going through those depths and then sharing that that there is light at the end of the tunnel. I mean, it's super powerful. Thank you, man. Brian, thank you, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much. I am so happy to be here. This is incredible. Thank you very much.